Hello and welcome back to episode 11 of the Rubbish Talk podcast with myself Heather Beatty and myself Alistair Meldrum. So episode 11, we last episode we reached our first milestone, made it into double digits, um, so that was with Pamela Knox Welsh from Leaving Seat, so that was great and we're quite grateful to have made it to double digits. Um, so episode 11 is a great one as well, we interviewed George Niblock who has a big character, knows a lot about the industry, um, so it'll be really interesting for everyone to hear that, but first of all. Um, myself and Alistair will do our usual news roundup. So we're going to start off, Alistair. This seems to be a common theme with one of your social media posts, um, specifically LinkedIn. Um, taking off, we're calling it Skipgate. So do you want to, anyone who hasn't saw it of the thirty odd thousand impressions we've noticed that has, oh, in case you've missed almost it, 50, almost fifty thousand impressions. Oh, so it was. That, that was last week. So yeah, in case anyone hasn't saw it, do you want to give a debrief? For the for the people that haven't seen it, it's a photograph of a almost empty skip with I think a a bottle for memory one bottle and three dog poo bo- bags in the bottom, uh, and the post was really about so I I was getting some work done in the garden I was getting a, a decking replaced I needed a skip for whatever reason it's that empty for a couple of days and for whatever reason dog walkers that normally go by the front of my house had obviously walked by and decided, oh, there's a skip, let's put a dog poo in. So the post was really about, you know, why why that's a change of behaviour. And then it was really saying, well, you know, from an operational point of view from the skip company, that material, you know, in that skip was pretty much wood. It was soil, it was brick and rubble. Uh, that would be, the wood would be separated, the soil would be separated, uh, and the brick and rubble would be sorted out. And there would be some sort of Although it'd be machine interaction, it'd also be some human interaction in terms of people. And therefore, you know, I hadn't hired to skip for dog poo. I'd hired to skip for, you know, as I said, the wood, the 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 soil, and so on. So effectively, you'd pr- probably have the dog poo going through the the screener for the sand. Potentially, that's getting caught up in the machines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you've got a contamination issue for staff, and you've got plastic going into that material, which you maybe wouldn't want. Uh, and I think it was really, you know, some of the questions were, were or some of the comments were fairly, uh, uh, how would I word it? There was, there was a certain, there was very differing views. Some people were saying, you know, dog owners shouldn't do that. And then some were saying they've got more important things in life to to, to, to think about than, you know, whether it's dog poo and a skip. And the, the point I was trying to make, uh, and I, in a sense, I gave up sometimes because people were, <laughs> sort of not not really that interested apart from ranting their own thing was you know that we shouldn't have you know the waste sector shouldn't have to have waste that's contaminated with dog poo so in a similar vein we've got a glass bin a glass collection or a cardboard collection you know for, for, for our household stuff you know quite regularly a dog owner put a dog poo in the bottom of that you know we don't expect to have dog poo in you know cardboard or, or glass or whatever mm-hmm. and it's just that it's just that mentality of it's just a bin therefore it's okay and another the other mentality that grated ever societally with, with me was there was a, a tendency it's just a waste worker it's just somebody that handles the waste surely they're used to handling you know dog poo and all that sort of stuff and it's like well yeah maybe they're used to it but should they really have to 
uh, and that was the, the, the if you read the thread there's 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 lots of comments back and forward on on, on on that basis but it did it did get a few people contacting me to say look you know what what should i do with dog poo you know i, mm -hmm. I pick it up and i put it in my residual bin and to a certain sense uh you know companies handling residual waste will expect to have dog poo they'll expect to have nappies they'll have expect to have that and the staff will have the appropriate pp to deal with that and and appropriate precautions are in place so it's more the it's not that we can't put dog poo in a bin it's more that it's got to be in the in in the right bin effectively mm -hmm. uh, and, and and not where it shouldn't be so that was the well, I've, I've affectionately called skip gate. I, I, I never got to. <laughs> I never got to stage. I had to turn comments off. But it, it was. It was. It was. It was verging close to it at one point. But I'm sure we could put the link up to if anybody is interested and not seen it. Uh, so, in, interestingly enough, it did actually sit there for another day or so, and no more dog poo <laughs> bags went into the skip. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you never know. You never know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that one, and and my my local success. I, I I don't know if you remember Heather. A few a few weeks ago, I had a bit of a. I think again, it was a LinkedIn post where it was mm -hmm. a a restaurant, local restaurant to me, had four euro bins of residual waste out every week, and most of that residual waste was either cardboard and plastic and so on. Mm -hmm. And and the back of that post. I think the waste contractor went and had had a little bit of a word, and lo and behold, the other night there was two lovely Eurobins stacked full of cardboard, away for getting recycling. So it just shows it, it can it can be done. Uh, I don't think it caused them any particular issue, and I'm sure it probably actually cost them less to get their two bins of uh, cardboard away than it did. Uh, you know their their the bins are residual, so mm -hmm. one 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 customer at a time. Well, they're not even a customer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that's great. The power of social media. People underestimate it, but I think a lot of people. You know, I think you always see comments about people coming on and use social media and Twitter, especially for just moaning and things. But it does really, especially if you're publicly, if you're tagging the companies in or if they're logo or their brand name is there at all you know they should really should feel the responsibility to correct anything so I think that's great I think keep at it I think more people could probably learn from doing the same obviously we keep it nice but um, we're just trying to inform people so I think that's I would take that as a win is that our second rubbish talk win I'm sure our first one was converting somebody to use a food waste bin and this is our second so we're, <laughs> we're changing the world it'll not take long <laughs> one episode at a time I think we'll take that um, so that that's funny. That's quite a lot we've, we've talked about, and um, a lot of the discussions talk are you know asking about materials and what can things do. And then if anyone remembers, um, we discussed quite a few times about our LinkedIn post again. Um, it, it went a bit viral, we'll say, for our our standards. Um, with the Matola Plastel device, um, we we showed the trial run in the office. We've now used it out on site. Um, and off the back of that, we had a lot of questions about how it would work um, on bigger scales or certain plastics and colours, does it work on black plastic, etc. So we had Chris Newton on um, from Matoa who came on and answered a lot of questions. So it's just a wee reminder that that episode came out. It was our first ever bonus Rubbish Talk episode and it's sitting on um, everywhere you get your, your podcast normally. We've got a wee write-up about it as well on the Rubbish Talk website. So 
just a wee note to say that that episode's out there and it's actually our machine is still going to great use not only have we used it um, for some waste composition analysis Alistair you're using it for personal use in the office as well um, so we have a we had a, a cake was it a cake container you it had a from a local box. cafe it was a cake box from a local cafe and I was inspecting it for a marking to work out what type of material it is. I couldn't actually work out what type of material it is. I had absolutely no marking in it. It did have a label that I was suspected was plastic. So the label tested as plastic as was suspected. And I think the the, bo- the container was actually cardboard. So assuming I could take the label off and the box is clean, I could put it in my cardboard okay. bin or I could put, you know, if it's a bit... Uh, I could put it in my compost bin, so mm-hmm. we we did we did we did use it for that. But that that the there do appear there do appear to be more and more of these different products out there that you know they might have marked in it as recyclable. But unless you actually know the material and the council that your collection can take it, you know, mm-hmm. is it really recyclable or are you just making up the fact it's recyclable so you know there's a difference between we've talked about this before there's a difference between someone being physically able to be recycled and the council area you live in actually yeah. accepting it within their waste streams mm-hmm. and, and that's the big the big dilemma and going back going sorry Tyler, going skipping way back to the 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 skip gate post i think one of the things i i got from some of the comments was and this is the whole thing about this podcast series is the whole lack of knowledge about what actually happens in the sector and some fairly when you look at the profile some fairly qualified people that don't actually understand how the how the sector works and how it operates and they've got a certain they've got a a sort of a vision of how they think it works Mm-hmm. You know, but she quite often get that comment thrown back that or oh, it'd all be collected in the same vehicle and all the same thing happens to it. And and the reality is very much different. If something's residual waste going for incineration landfill, that costs a lot more than say a skip of cardboard that goes for recycling. So there's no commercial interest for a company just saying we're going to take it all to landfill or we're going to take it all to incineration. So that that whole you know, uh, lack of understanding of of, of, of of what happens. And then that's complicated by all these different manufacturers putting different products on and saying this thing's recyclable and that thing's recyclable. And the reality is it might be, but if there's no collection service or no facility, then it's not. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think we see a lot of new things coming out now and uh, the confusion is the kind of main obstacle to overcome. We try and talk about it and, you know, we've looked at understanding what all the symbols mean and things, but as you said, it's not as simple. You could know that like the back of your hand, but it, it really does depend and also depends on, as you said, the cake um, container, for example, was cardboard, but it had the plastic sticker on it. And this also seems to be happening a lot in terms of takeaway, um, you know, the single use plastic ban come into force in Scotland. So we see a lot of the wooden um, knives and forks, utensils, whatever we get from takeaways. But uh, as you experienced recently for your ice cream pot, for example, you had a, a tub, a lid, a fork, a spoon, sorry, all different materials. I would have. I was down. I was down at our local local national trust place, Clane Castle. If anybody's not been, 
big shout out for Killeen down in the Ayrshire coast. Uh, but normally they have a, a, a shop that will sell you cones and ice cream so you can consume the whole lot and you don't need to produce any mm-hmm. rubbish. Uh, but in this case, case in the weren't, so they had a, a fridge with some tubs of ice cream. And in that ice cream you had the, the cardboard lid, you had a wooden spoon that replaced the plastic, uh, the plastic spoon. But then you had a nice plastic lid and you had a plastic lined cardboard tub. And I was like, hmm, how, how can I, you know, mm-hmm. when I'm out and about, how can I realistically do anything meaningful with this apart from putting that in a residual bin? Yeah. Uh, and, and you do wonder, does it make me question the carbon impact of a, a plastic spoon versus a wooden spoon? If it's going in disposal, mm-hmm. is there really that big a difference? Has it made has it made any difference really? Uh, you know, I'm 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 not quite sure. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a it's a really difficult one. I think for the hospitality sector as well, they're probably not getting the best of guidance on what to do, and uh, it makes it quite difficult. I was just laughing. I was remembering a story from the weekend there, and uh, just talking about when you're out and about, like what what to do if you want to recycle things. And um, I was getting the train to go out with my friends, and I normally would have a refillable water bottle, but didn't have anything on me, so I went and bought a plastic bottle of water. Um, from Central Station, from WH Smith or something, we got off the train at the other side and I'm frantically looking about the street and like, looking for a bin and one of my friends actually said to me, are you looking for a recycling bin for that? You've been hanging on to that empty bottle for ages. And I said, yeah, I just feel it. I don't want to chuck it in the like general way. So I was walking about the streets desperately looking for a recycling bin um, and I thought, God, probably even a couple of years ago I wouldn't have thought twice about that but it's funny how much your habits do change we always ask our guests if they do and then I, I never even said it out loud but one of my friends said I can see you looking about for a recycling bin for that you could have just filled it up at the the Glasgow Central I know, the I know. At, the, um, at, the, at the entrance I've noticed you, that you could have filled it up there you go I, 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 it's been known I've just taken stuff home you know for that very reason yeah uh, but anyway there we go. What's next? That's, that's well, a, ra- a rant. <laughs> I, I know that's a, that was a, three rants in one go. Well, well know, no, it was it was it was Skipgate. It was Skipgate, which was not really a rant. It was a positive result for my local restaurant. And then there, there was this, you know, about the, you know, how 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 hard is it made for the public to actually do something positive with some materials? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's quite a good couple of topics raised. And um, before we go in, we don't want to take too much time away from George's really good episode because he has the expert on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. Um, but from a, from a bit of an Albion and admin promo side of things, um, I just wanted to share that anyone listening, um, a lot of people in our industry and hopefully beyond it as well, but Albion do have a couple of open positions just now. Um, so we're hiring for a marketing and business development coordinator and also a senior environmental consultant. So you can find all the details that are on the Albion website, but both jobs are also on our LinkedIn and their own Indeed jobs as well. So any interest or anyone you know who might be suitable for the, either of the roles, then please get in touch and they'll also I'll link to them in the, the podcast notes and the Rubbish Talk website but just a bit of a shout out there. If you want to come join the team, might even be featured on a podcast one day if you come on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's maybe not a selling point either. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. It might be someone's cup of tea, so shout out for know. them. There you go. And then, and then, and next up, we have we have uh, George Nablock, and and for people that don't know George, George has been at 
a giant in, in the waste industry scene in, in Scotland for many years. He is allegedly retired at the moment, but he's, he's probably doing, I'm not saying he's working fully, but he's, 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 he's doing a lot of stuff. So really fascinating to talk to George, but you know, he started back in the day, I can't remember, he'll he, I think he gave the date, but back in the day as a, a sanitary inspector. So if you don't know what a sanitary inspector did, you know, listen to his episode. In terms of knowledge, George's particular knowledge is on on, on street cleaning, cleaning, uh, not just uh, litter picking uh, or, or litter removal. It's all about, in his mind, it's all about uh, street cleaning as well. He's uh, fairly vocal in terms of his, his views about what should or shouldn't be happening in terms of uh, litter and street cleaning in in Scotland, and, and he will he, he does chat. I know he challenges, uh, you know, public bodies, you know, Scottish government, zero waste, uh, keep Scotland beautiful, and pe- people that to, you know, in his view, do what the legislation requires that, that them to be doing. So re- really interesting to get him talking about that and subject in a, a bit of detail. Uh, the other side, he's got a really interesting community interest project he's working with to put in a, a district heating system uh, up, up near uh, where he lives. Uh, we don't talk particularly much about that, but we'll, we will link to that. We have linked to that in his, his, uh, on, the, on the show notes. Uh, and the other thing w- was, uh, George has shared quite a lot of content with us just in terms of uh, his views on a few things. So what we're hoping to do with that is, is just share it out, uh, uh, you know, on a, a regular, not so much a regular basis, but just split it up a little bit uh, and share it out in the Rubbish Talk podcast over the next few weeks. Uh, so if, if you are interested in the subject, uh, then certainly there's, there's, there's some good content uh, about, about, about that subject. And, and, you know, some great chat with how the sector works, uh, or in some cases how it doesn't work, and 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 where there could be improvements. So that that's that's it for us. Uh, over over to Mr. Niblock. Hi everyone, welcome back to episode eleven of the Rubbish Talk podcast. Today we've got a special guest, George Niblock, on. Uh, we're going to do our usual format and then let George take control of the conversation because we know he's got some good opinions and we want him to have this platform to share so welcome George thanks very much for coming on with Alistair and myself. Oh you're welcome I've listened to quite a few of them not every one of them so far but I've listened to quite a number of them and really enjoy them so hopefully folk get something from this. I hope Alistair's episode is one of those because he's slowly falling down the ranks so. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all not at all. I did start with that one and uh, and it must have been good because I continued to to others, mainly the folks that I know in the industry, you know, so I listened to them and, oh, that's not right, he said that. <laughs> yeah, it was really, really interesting to hear them, hear how their careers have advanced and what they're up to now and uh, agree with everything they're saying really so far. Yeah, good. Well, well, we'll start the usual way then, since you said um, about everyone's journey. I think that's <clears> the interesting part to kick us off. So do you want to tell us a wee bit about what you currently do um, and your background, how you got to where you are. Okay, okay. Uh, I've been in the industry for 55 years, probably uh, longer than your dad's age, Heather, but uh, <laughs> uh, get way back to the 60s. And really, I, like, it's been mentioned in a few of the previous podcasts, I came to the industry almost by accident. 
I was leaving school at age 18 with a, a small clutch of uh, qualifications. I didn't really learn to learn until after I left school. And uh, our careers advisor was a, a counsellor in the local council. And she just told me, there's a vacancy for an apprentice sanitary inspector at council. Go and apply for it. So I did as I was told, <laughs> got the job uh, as an apprentice sanitary inspector in East Kilbride, Newtown, and uh, continued there for 25 years before I, I moved up to the northeast uh, to do missionary work up here uh, with Gordon District Council. So that's the kind of fast track career. Work my way up through the ranks with uh, East Kilbride Council in its various formats over the many years. And... Uh, Enjoyed that tremendously, but I always wanted to be a director of my own patch. Mm -hmm. So uh, I moved up here to Gordon in 1990. So that's my career track. And then, of course, most will know that when I left the public sector, uh, they went into private sector, set up my own small consultancy, playing on my name, Niblock Environmental Limited. It's not a, a common name round about Scotland, so maybe stuck out like a sore thumb. And <laughs> did a bit of work with private consultants as well. I was employed with Jacobs for a bit as a, a consultant with them. And, uh, and I'm now kind of doing voluntary work in the third sector. I also involved with waste management related things as well. So it's been fairly continuous over that number of years. So you're, you're, you're sort of retired, George, but not quite retired. Not quite retired. Uh, my wife really gets upset by that. Uh, <laughs> if you could see the camera, I've got an office here with all the stuff out. I'm really pretty busy just now with a, a district heat project in Inverurie. Yeah. Maybe takes me between uh, 25, 30 hours a week <laughs> as a community-based organisation. We're hoping to take the residual heat from an energy from waste plant and uh, do a district heat network around about our community. Community owned, not for profit. So it's all good. How's how's that going? Are you are you making progress? It's probably a big challenge. It's a, a massive challenge. It's a, a 30 to 50 million capital project. Uh, doing it in my spare time as a volunteer mm. and uh, with a number of other very able volunteers assisting me. But the, it's the old chicken and egg situation. Once we get operational, we'll have revenue. We don't have a pre-capitalization revenue to to get the show on the road, but that's one of the challenges. So once it does start, I mean, we hope to follow what goes on up in Shetland because their energy from waste plant has a district heat network running from it. And uh, also over at Edinburgh with Miller Hill, the Midlothian and the city got together and there's a proposal there, which is rolling along. Gordon Pollock was one of the, the ex Wasters, who's now the director of that kind of project to deliver district heat networks, a priority for the Scottish government. And there is this relationship between utilising the excess heat energy from energy from waste plants to make the efficiencies much higher. Mm -hmm. What was your thought? I'm going totally off script here, George. What was your, what was your thoughts on the recent Scottish government uh, report that went out last week? Last week or the week before? I can't, I can't actually remember I, when it was. We don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you would just censor it out anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, all I would say to all these folk that are doing all this sort of stuff, is your wheelie bin full at the end of the week or is it empty at the end of the week? Mm. You know, we're trying to do all the recycling. And most folk, one of the questions, you know, 
something that public don't realise. Most councils don't do any recycling. Do no recycling at all. They're just part of a process of collecting materials from public and business, passing it on to recyclers. So if, the, if there is not the market there for the product, and then you know, don't blame the council if they can't collect something. And equally, I would ask people that are listening to this, how many times do you go to the shops to make a positive effort to buy something that is made from post-consumer recycled material? Hardly ever, mm -hmm. because we don't, the, the system's not designed to highlight that to customers, to and generate the pool. We keep pushing stuff into a, a pipeline, but there's not the pool at the other end pulling products out that are made of post-consumer uh, recycled materials. Without it's, a, into, uh, no, it's, a, it's a good point, George. I'm, I'm sitting here today and I've had a couple of emails already about the price of paper crashing through the floor. Uh, metals is going through the floor at the moment. You know, there's 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 things happening in the market. And as soon as that happens, there's, you know, if there was a an outlet for material, there's less likely to be an outlet for material. Just skipping skipping right back a wee a bit. <laughs> since you, you mentioned sanitary inspector. Now, I'm not sure sanitary inspectors still exist, so maybe you could explain for the listeners what that role was and, and what it encompassed. Yeah, sanitary inspector was first, uh, started back in Scotland anyway. In England, it's called public health inspectors for many years. But it derived out of the, the, the needs of the communities back in the Industrial Revolution, the mid-1800s, when there was a lot of People come out of the country into the cities to work. There's poor conditions, uh, living conditions, uh, unsafe water, hygiene was pretty poor. And uh, the government of the day realised that disease and pestilence was spreading. So they introduced uh, various things. And in Scotland, it became the Public Health Scotland Act. And there were sanitary inspectors appointed. Interestingly, in those days, the role of a sanitary inspector appointed by local councils uh, it was for public health reasons generally, and that post was protected by the Secretary of State for Scotland. It meant that the, the council couldn't sack their sanitary inspector, because quite often the sanitary inspector had to serve notice in his own employer. Now, you can imagine what that does for your career chances <laughs> and your longevity in a post when you take your own employer to court. But uh, that changed back, the, the title changed back in the 70s. Uh, it changed, it, fortunately, to environmental health officer. I mm -hmm. say fortunately because my wife never liked it in the days when it was a shared passport, husband and wife shared passports, and it had sanitary inspector on it. <laughs> also, it made it difficult during the flower power era to uh, go in and pick up girls in the pubs and clubs and places. And, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a sanitary inspector. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, fortunately, it's now environmental health. And in yeah. those days, environmental health also did waste management. So mm -hmm. that was my introduction to public health across the full spectrum, place you live, food you eat, water you drink, air you breathe, where you work, all that sort of stuff. Uh, we're all uh, very interesting. That's what was a great job. It was the perfect job. Uh, What's, what's, what's your thoughts on the, the environmental health role appears to have been diluted and diluted over the years? I'm, I'm, 
obviously, I, well, not obviously, but in case people don't know the background, my degree is in environmental health. But I never actually, I never did my 50, is it 50 weeks or 52 weeks professional? Uh, so yeah. I never actually qualified. I've never, I'm the one, one of the few, I think, escaped. But I always feel the role's been a little bit diluted, even from when I was at university back in 1990. Undoubtedly, uh, across the spectrum of enforcement authorities, not just environmental health, but particularly aware of it, uh, they just uh, they don't have the resources, don't have the number of folks. And uh, I've lost a wee bit of touch with environmental health. Uh, I was a, you know, being a director of environmental health, I, I, I had my uh, professional status and I was a, a chartered environmental health officer, as well as a chartered waste manager and a chartered environmentalist. Looked good on the, the business card when I was a consultant, a triple uh, charter mm -hmm. status. But uh, it certainly has, Alistair. It's, 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 it's gone way from what I knew it back in the, the halcyon days of the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, so in terms of your in terms of your career, your, your, your most favourite time, your most favourite project, what, what stands out for you? Or all oh, of it? <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. There's, there's huge, huge numbers of things, but uh, I'd have to say, uh, perversely almost, it was derived from Maggie Thatcher because it was uh, competitive tendering back in the, the late 80s and 90s. And that was a time when we were forced to put all of our direct services out to competitive tender. We hadn't a scooby what that meant. Mm -hmm. And I was I was a deputy to Dougie Henry at East Cobride and uh, went to numerous, numerous seminars and what it's all about, but nothing ever really uh, fitted what we thought we wanted to do. And it was brand new territory for everyone in the country in those days. So I, in conjunction, Dougie gave me my head to design the, the specifications for the services, particularly uh, for street cleansing and refuse collection. And that's probably the last time that those services were properly specified and costed because we did bid for our own services back. And fortunately, we won both of them. Uh, and I, that was a huge, huge task and really looking back, enjoyable. And I learned a lot from it. Still, still to the, still to this day, there's very, very few local authorities have a private waste contractor, isn't it? I think, I think Falkirk Council have. Uh, is it Viola? Um, I can't remember. I think it's Viola they have for their food waste collection or something. But there's very few authorities have private waste collectors. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've not kept up day to day with all the, the you know, 32 authorities. I used to uh, to see where the work was and you know, all my colleagues because you, you met them at conferences. But there are a number. Take South Lanarkshire, for example. I mean, there uh, household waste recycling centres are out to contract. They've got various other things out to contract. I think the private sector is nipping around the edges uh, with elements of the, the broad spectrum that is waste management. But certainly... Uh, back in the day, uh, none of them uh, really won any of the big contracts for refuse collection and street cleansing. Uh, and those were the two biggies. Then you had vehicle maintenance and a variety of other services 
that uh, were put out to competitive tender. Uh, it was really challenging handing in that bid to the, the, the chief officer and say, there's my bid and hope you got it right. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, we won, we won them all. Uh, and it was an, an exciting, different, challenging time. Good, good. Yeah. So, George, we normally ask everyone this, but um, I think I, we might know your answer. It seems how you've been involved in industry and passionate about it for so long. But um, do you remember a time before being in the industry? Um, and if so, do you think since being involved, you've changed your kind of habits um, outside of the workplace and kind of into everyday life now going forward? Is there any massive changes you notice from when you, you started working in the industry? Well, when I started working in the industry, there wasn't the same uh, litter was there, but it was a different world. I mean, the 60s, it was almost still post-war. There wasn't the same 24-hour uh, consumerism and catering and fast food. And there wasn't the same amount of money around for uh, uh, con you know, convenience foods, etc. So litter was there and it was involved way back in the litter campaigns of Keep Scotland Beautiful. And Douglas Wright with his kilt went about and it was all that. Tartan <laughs> and Heather and everyone's plant flowers, Scotland's beautiful. And it is beautiful, but we, we do tend now to spoil it and disregard it uh, hugely. I mean, the last stats I read, we were old now, but more than 50% of people admit to littering. It's become at that level a social norm. Yeah. And there's a recent research study come out the other day there that I read just, best course I ever went on and council sent myself on was speed reading. So if you oh. ever get a chance to do a speed <laughs> reading course, I recommend it to everyone. Uh, but then this was talking about a lot of the littering and problems that get me angry and upset, and I know Alistair as well, uh, angry and upset about it, are derived almost from people's dissatisfaction with government and public sector generally. You mm -hmm. know, uh, some of the things that are going on in this country across the spectrum, if it's France and they riot, they go out yeah. and riot, whereas... In Scotland and in UK generally, there's a there's almost a nah, I'll throw the litter out in disregard. I used to think it was it was only in the kind of peripheral housing estates that felt ignored by the public sector. And if you're stepping out your front door and the place is a mess and it's grubby and you've got no future, there's the kind of attitude that pervades, or I assume pervades, the government and the council clearly don't care about us. So yeah. why should we care about anything? And that really, as I think, and this report uh, alluded to it, has crept into wider society now. Mm -hmm. And there's this disregard because the whole country's in a mess for so many things, whatever is your interest, that what the hell is not going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. And how do, you, how do you arrest that? How do you stop that? Yeah, I think that's, that's so right when you're saying people say it, there's what's the what's the point like that is I hear that all the time from people what's the point you know me changing my habits won't make any difference or there's so many other world problems that what's about a litter and it's it is, it's so difficult yeah Alistair's gone oh you've gone off the you know that you were saying 50% of people admit to dropping litter I actually think it's way higher than that mm. I think we can't have that much litter sitting at the side of the roads 
for 50% of the population. I think it's, it's, it's way up there. You touched on earlier, Alistair. You've got 50, that much litter sitting beside the road is because it's not lifted. The duty, the legal duty is to ensure that the roads are kept clean and free of litter. Mm -hmm. Now, you see all that litter because they don't lift it from one month's end or one year's end to the other. They totally ignore the basic act, the Environmental Protection Act 1990, Section 89, boom. And uh, they also ignore the code of practice was, was, that was written to help the numpties that don't know what clean means. And so, so going into we're, we're going to go, go into what I would call your or what, what I understand apart from your community project, George. Your your day job is you're an, a bit of an activist in terms of, of of litter, street cleaning, and and so on. And I think you've obviously you've got a background from working, so you know a lot about the subject. But for our listeners who maybe don't know the background, maybe you could just run through some of that the environment. Protection Act 1990, the code of practice, what what you think local authorities, roads contractors should be doing? Yes. Uh, we, we, we've only got an hour, George. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, what I, that's why I hesitated, Arthur, because it is, there is no simple aspect to this. Uh, basically, the law was written in 1990 to try and encapsulate a piece of legislation that was straightforward. And they did say ensure that the public open spaces are kept clean. Now, the test of ensure is, is greater and more onerous than just keeping it clean. And, uh, and that was the basis for the competitive tendering that we mentioned earlier on. You had to make sure you complied with the law. Now, we did in those days, I, I hope we did, we tried our very best to do it. And things were quite different back in the 90s when that act came out. And the duty is to not just litter. Litter is the, as I call it, is the, it's the tip of the, the waste management iceberg. It, you see it, it's very visible, but it wasn't the tip of the iceberg that sank the Titanic. There's many, many other things that you don't see about litter and the bigger picture called street cleansing. Now get the fancy name of street scene, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, essentially it's a bit of fancy titles and obfuscation to take your eye away from the real problems. But the underlying problem is that since local government, and I call it disorganization in 1996, when the 56 small councils came into the 32 bigger, bigger areas, all inclusive uh, authorities, since those days, education, social work and roads have just sucked the money. They are demand-led services. And, you know, they just can't get enough money by the nature of the, the services they are. And it's taken resources from many other services. And street cleansing is one of the poor relations. It's not valued to the way it was as a public health service. There's a report out by commissioned by Zero Waste Scotland, uh, which states that even for, from uh, public mental health alone, which is a big issue these days, public mental health, they reckon that the cost of not cleaning the streets is in excess of £55 million a year to the health service. I mean, wow. there's many, many implications, not just the visual, the aesthetics, it's huge implications 
all that uncollected litter that Alistair mentioned by the side of the road is being shredded just now by the grass cutting mm. uh, contractors, both council and, and main roads. That makes it more mobile. It gets into the burns and rivers, gets into the seas and the oceans, into the food chain. And we're just leaving it lying there, but it's, it's not getting picked up by the councils. Contractors are, are just shredding the litter like confetti. And the whole system uh, is pretty much in chaos just now. Uh, the reports from Keep Scotland Beautiful, who are the national charity that have been there for as many decades as I've been in the business, they must be approaching their 60-year anniversary. Uh, they, they, they have got a big part to play in, in the country's awareness and, and what we do about it. And they have been campaigning, but it's all about litter. They've forgotten about the core service of street cleaning. We need to sweep the streets, we need to clear the detritus, the weeds, the, the chewing gum, all the whole range of stuff. But the resources for that have been cut pretty dramatically since local government reorganisation in 96. I know that for a fact because I was in that service. I was the director that was told, cut your budget, cut that, cut that, cut that. And, and speaking locally to some of the the, the guys that are doing the job now with the limited resources, I say, well, there's a specification of what the law requires. Oh, we couldn't do that. Oh, we could never do that. And uh, so it's, it's a money issue. It's a societal mm -hmm. issue. It's so complex. And Scottish government are currently reviewing the litter strategy for Scotland. It's been held back a bit for a variety of reasons. But in my view, I've seen the draft. It's been out for consultation. I actually was the nominee from uh, Chartered Institution of Waste Management to one of their earlier workshops. And I'm putting my hand up and saying, you know, there's no one here that's actually done the job that knows what street cleansing is. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of, with due respect, there are a lot of millennials mm -hmm. that have got really great degrees. But, so one of your speakers, who was it? It was, uh, it was uh, Simon said, there's no one been in the depot at five o'clock in the morning trying to crew up a street cleansing crew on a, a cold winter Monday morning. There are practical things that those that are revising the litter strategy are just not addressing. They're not grasping the very many nettles that are out there. The thousands of bottles of lorry driver urine that litter our road network, that are reported by Keep Scotland Beautiful, the litter that's shredded, the, yeah, I could go on, I do yeah. go on, so put your hand up when I'm... <laughs> well, I think you're right, so many, I think of our, our guests, George, have said the same, like either they've said, mentioned it and how much they've learned or advice for people starting out in the industry or just like their favourite part was always those early days if they've started from the bottom and they say they wouldn't have got to where they are and wouldn't know what they know without being out there and doing that. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there by saying that. Yeah, there's one of the, part of the one that I mentioned, the, the, the CCT preparing the specifications and agreeing what to be done. I went out on the streets with the guys from the union and from the, the drivers of the street sweeping machines. And we actually found, I don't know how we found it, maybe we went to somebody else's authority, a street that wasn't too clean, took photographs. Not only did we did a narrative, we gave photographs. 
here is a street, it's not clean enough, and here is a standard you need when it's finished. Mm -hmm. And I know those exist within Coplar, Coplar to help the, the, the descriptive uh, narratives has got photographs, but it's totally ignored by councils, by all people that, 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 ha that uh, have got a duty to comply with the law. It's pretty basic. It's not rocket science. It's only cleaning the streets. Mm -hmm. And if they can't clean the streets, a simple job like that, what chance have they got of doing the really complex stuff? It's almost a litmus test for mm -hmm. uh, local government services. You need to, before you go on, you need to tell us what Coppler is for the people that oh, don't know. <laughs> uh, it's a code of practice on litter and refuse. It's a, a Jack and Jill guide to sweeping a street. Uh, it's, a, it's about the standards that are required, the time that you have for rectification of those standards, if it does fall below that standard. And uh, it gives guidance on that uh, across a spectrum. It was developed over a number of years. Scotland's got its own version. Uh, there's different versions down in, in England and Wales. And uh, ours was revised again in 2018 and made so complicated as to be unworkable. But it's been ignored by the public sector, by SEPA, by Keep Scotland Beautiful, Zero Waste Scotland, and Scottish ministers. Because most folk don't realise it's Scottish ministers that are responsible for the, the, the cleansing of our motorways and, and major roads. Uh, so th then, you know, everyone knows, no one can deny the state of them as you drive about the country. Is, it, is that not the problem fundamentally, though, George? The, 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 the problem is fundamentally money to deliver the service properly. And there's no, not enough yeah. money out there, therefore... You know, to a certain extent, council's hands are tied a little bit. Yeah, that, yes and no. Again, another complex question, uh, and the answer's even worse. Yeah, the, the grant-aided expenditure that the councils get from government contains an element for street cleaning. And that is not ring-fenced. There's this issue, you know, should it be ring-fenced or not? Well, if you're ring-fenced, that means central government's telling us everything. There's no room for local democracy. But that money gets, the technical name is veered, i.e. lost into other services as the budgets come down. I would really like to see, if it's possible, an audit of the, the budgets pre-local government disorganisation and, and post, because mm -hmm. uh, certainly there is not the resources there, Alistair. I'm wondering that the, 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 the guys and gals that make the, the big uh, roads mechanical sweepers you could tell from that how many are sold now compared to the number they used to sell way back in the day. You just don't see them sweeping the streets now. Mm. So the gullies choke. You get local flooding, you get traffic accidents, you get damage, you get disruption from all the flooding with the, the weather changing, with the severe weather that we get now and the, mm -hmm. the flash floods we get. The drains are all choked with detritus. There was a period last summer where if I if I could have legally took it taken pictures while I was driving, I was I was going to get you pictures of the M8 and the M77 in Glasgow, and there was literally grass grown out of every single gully pot going along the the the, the outside lane, 
every I've, single one. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I mean, I've got a uh, dash cam, Alistair, and I've had to. I've got gigabytes of storage of videos <laughs> across, and you, you don't actually need to take those photographs, Alistair, when you're driving. You can see them in Google Maps. Yeah. And Google, you can zoom in on them anywhere in Scotland. And they also have something I found out after the court case I took. The top left-hand corner, you can get previous photographs at the yep. same location. Yep. And you can see how it's not been done for years. Like on the A90 south of Brechin, uh, there's a city on the verge there that's been there for eight years. Five years ago, I put a traffic cone, a typical Ouija thing, Glass, <laughs> you can't take. I put a traffic cone in the top of it to aid, and I've, I've tweeted it, I've spoken to councillors about it, I've emailed the council, it's still there. If it's, if it's still there at Christmas, George, you need to get some solar solar powered Christmas tree lights and stick that on it and see how long it stays for. I say, no, visit, visit Scotland has put a brown plaque on it. It's been there so long, it's become a tourist attraction. <laughs> So much for dumb dumpers. Yeah. The, the other the other one I was going to tell you, George, is at my at my house is in a corner plot, so I've got a big a big pavement perimeter and roads around me. And it was obviously the the coronation the other day. The church was having a bit of a do. There's a couple of big trees and stuff, and I thought I better go out and clear the weeds from the footpath and clear the kerbs. Half a wheelie bin it took. Half a wheelie bin of detritus from the side of the road, and I'd probably done that at the end when the leaves had fallen at the end of last year. Yeah, and that just shows you if I'm getting that from like a forty meter strip of road, what's what's the rest of the town like? Yeah, that if you looked at the, all that waste that should be collected, it's choking the drains, it's creating weeds, it's lifting the tar where the weeds grow. And there's, <clears throat> uh, I've got a wee fact on my wall here that's in the two thousand. 2017, there were eight, 1,860 road traffic accidents attributable to litter and debris on the road. Now, how many was the real number if they know that it was 1,860? So mm -hmm. it's a broad spectrum of the impacts in public health that we talked about, mental health, uh, tourism, business investment, and general community well-being, all just come down and down and down for a basic one of the very first services back in the 1800s when the rubbish was thrown out in the streets so they cleared the streets scammed the streets basic public health we're actually going backwards we used to be really proud scotland had the first uh, meetings of the institute of public cleansing officers the predecessor of ciwm and uh, I mean, Glasgow and Edinburgh and Aberdeen were really, really proud cities and we, we blazed a trail in, in the UK in our cleansing services. I was fortunate to be the chair of CIWM, Scottish Centre, during the centenary year. And uh, it was the first first one. And But we're going backwards. We're becoming almost a third world country. I was... Is as part as part of the issue that we're foc we're focused the push is to focus on uh, environmental issues rather than public health issues. Because when I when I did uh, back in 2012, I went out to to Congo quite a, look, quite a lot to look at international waste management, and their big thing they were being pushed really hard by the World Bank, the UN, all the aid agencies about environmental issues. 
And I was always at them and saying, it's not environmental, it's public health. You know, if you're growing crops and waste, if you're polluting rivers with waste, if you're doing a let's focus on the public health bit and then the benefits from that drive the environmental improvement. And it was really interesting when COVID first appeared that initially, I don't know if you're aware of this, George, waste collection wasn't viewed as an essential service. For the first three or four days, waste collection, and I was hang on a minute here, guys. You need to get waste collection out there and working one way or the other. And, and once it was accepted, it was it was yeah, that's that's right. But I think that's back to your point that you know there's probably not enough people that have done the day job to be f- fully aware of that reality and how important it is. Yeah. Absolutely, Arthur. There's two or three spin-off threads there. That I wrote a report 14 years ago saying the pandemic was coming and what the implications would be for the cleansing and waste management industry. Uh, it was published in the CIWM's journal. For 90% didn't read it. The 10% who read it derided me for being, ah, you're over the top again, you again, big blow up. It'll did- never be as bad as that. We need to find you need to find that link. You have shared it with me in the past. You need to find yeah. that link again and we'll share that. We'll share that in the, the show that, notes. I've got that report. And uh, effectively, public health has been has the message of public health has been lost, Alistair. You're absolutely on the button there. That you can see it in the way the legislation and the industry has changed. It was all about public health, which is the important thing. And then went over to control of pollution because they know that waste management was starting with landfill sites. But then it became in 1990 with the, there was a report called This Common Inheritance by the then Conservative government and talked about our inheritance in the planet, bloody the wider, you know, think global, act local, local stuff. And it became environmental protection. Mm-hmm. And they forget that the environment will go on and the planet will go on. Homo sapiens might not be go on the way we are polluting it. Mm-hmm. If you look at, and that's another one of my hobby horses, maybe for another podcast, the amount of diseases and conditions that we have that I never saw when I was at school. No kids in my class had asthma or inhalers or, or allergies and all that sort of stuff. Belief is that this is attributable to the contamination of our environment. It's about public health. But now the industry has moved on it's no longer you know, Institute of Public Cleansing, it's Institute of Waste Management, and now we're talking about resources. Now we're moved on to circular economy. Mm. We're changing our focus and our title faster. It used to be every 50 or 100 years. Now it became every 20, 10, every five years we've got a new concept. Now it's circular economy. I mean, the, con- all- the, concept, the concept's moved on, George, but the day-to-day work is still the same. Aye, uh, but they, they, they seem to forget there's uh, the ultimate oxymoron is sustainable development. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. And I mentioned Maggie Thatcher, so I must put balance into it. And Tony, <laughs> something that Tony Blair said. We're, we're, uh, we're apolitical here, George. We don't we try I, not to get involved. In... <laughs> well, that's why I'm saying I better mention and balance it out. Tony Blair, when he did his, his, his prime minister, and he was doing one of his early uh, talks, he said, of all the, the tasks and, and responsibilities he's had, that the environment was the most important of all of them uh, because everything pins around the environment. He then immediately forgot all about that and went and did what he did. But uh, 
it was recognised how important the environment is because it has the impact on our our health, physical, mental, and our general well-being. Uh, so we you ignore that at your peril. I think that the mental health thing is actually really interesting because you saw the number of people that actually got involved in litter picking during the lockdown just as an activity. You know, I think yeah. I think if you actually could track the numbers, there was probably a huge increase in people just going out and, and picking litter. And it's actually quite a therapeutic thing. I find it quite a therapeutic sort of thing to do. Uh, but that's that's maybe just me. Anyway, mo- moving on, you're, you're going to talk to me and explain to me about a thing called LEMS. What, what yeah. what's, what's LEMS about? Maybe oh, explain what LEMS stands for first yeah. and, then, and then you can... The, the official LEMS is Local Environmental Audit and Monitoring System. Uh, but I think it's let's every authority miss out sweeping. That's what it means. <laughs> It's it's a, an obfuscation con, conjured up by uh, local authorities and Keep Scotland Beautiful. Way back in the day, Audit Scotland, who produced reports about the performance of council services and how to compare with the standards, mm-hmm. wanted a, 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 a metric for uh, measuring the, the effectiveness of councils of street sweeping, cleansing services across the spectrum. So they invited Keep Scotland Beautiful and COSLA, that's the Convention of Scottish Local Authorities, uh, to come up with some metric. So these two lots got together. So the folk that have got to deliver the service weren't going to make it hard, were they, for themselves? And Keep Scotland Beautiful uh, get their most of their money from government and from the local authorities or part of their system. So effectively, it was the turkeys voting, designing the Christmas menu and they certainly didn't have the golden goose on that menu because they produced this thing called LEMS and they produce annual audit reports where they say that they produce a thing called a cleanliness index for Scotland. And uh, most authorities uh, can be up in the 98 99% any metric that gets consistently that kind of level, uh, it can't be good. The pass, the acceptable pass rate, I think, is down at 66. Although they've been they've been trying to tweak it recently, partly because of the hassle I've been giving them about it. Uh, but the fundamental problem with this thing that is the monitor, the, the barometer of how clean Scotland is and how clean individual authorities are, is that it it totally ignores the law of the land that we talked about earlier, the duty to ensure that they're kept clean. Because underpinning this self-assessment that's done uh, to produce this cleanliness index, they decide that we'll ignore the fact that we've got to keep it clean. Most people, they assume most people don't mind a wee bit of litter, mm. which is, the you know, there's, the standards are grade A to F, and we need an F because of the state of the place. Uh, the keep it clean. The grade <laughs> A is grade A is clean. Grade B is a wee bit of litter. Grade C is significant litter. Grade D is a lot of litter, and then so on. Uh, so this group, this Keep Scotland Beautiful, and the Cosla Waste Management Officers decided, we'll ignore, we'll ignore grade B because most folk don't mind that. 
That's contrary to the researches by Scottish, uh, the Scotland Beautiful themselves, which indicate that 80% of the people in Scotland believe that there's litter and cleanliness of the streets is a problem. Mm -hmm. And that comes out year on year in the, Scot the Scottish Government's annual household survey about neighbourhoods makes litter and cleanliness and grubbiness as the single most top area of concern. More than twice they're concerned about drugs and drug use in their communities. And that's across the full spectrum of, of housing. Uh, so it's a real problem. And this is part of the problem. They produced this thing called a cleanliness index by statistics and damn lies, really. They, they go and look at statistically, you could take the area I live in is Aberdeenshire. 85% of the roads in Aberdeenshire are nice wee rural lanes and, and wee villages and lovely wee places. You don't see any significant litter. It just doesn't exist. So they're getting 85 marks already. They've got loads of wee villages that get wee uh, uh, orderly system where they, they stop sweeping in villages now. All they do is pick the big bits of litter. They don't physically sweep anymore, as Alistair uh, mentioned with his own street. And uh, so they never, ever get a grade C, which is really bad. So it's designed to ignore the fact that our trunk roads, again, as Alistair pointed out, and you'll see yourself, Heather, the trunk roads are lined with litter month after month after mm -hmm. month. And uh, it's never picked up until it gets to grade F. Oh, if we better pick that up uh, and they do it once a year and uh, which is not compliant with the law. There's no other bit of law. I mean, assisted dying, if you said, well, but my dad wanted to die of it. The law says you can't do it. Oh, no, let's just pretend. Let's pretend we'll not do that. Uh, loads of laws that we've got to comply with because that's a law. But this one across the board, Scottish government, the ministers, Zero Waste Scotland, the whole spectrum of organisations that are involved in street cleansing and litter play pretend. And I call it, you won't know about this one, my daughter says, people, you know, you're too old, Dad. I call it the, uh, uh, the Emperor's New Clothes Club. <laughs> and uh, they're all in it. And they're all fear to speak out because Scottish ministers are at fault as well in respect. Mm -hmm. So no one wants to criticise the bosses, back to the sanitary inspector having mm -hmm. to criticise his employers. Yeah. Uh, so, so the whole system is rotten. So I assume, I assume, I assume the Zero Waste Scotland review of litter, litter strategies is going to sort all that out, George? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Absolutely not. Light, light blue touch paper. <laughs> yeah, yes. The... They've just re revised the, the old one. Uh, one of my favourite quotations is Aldous Huxley, that, uh, and it's men, it's, uh, man fails to learn the lessons of history, uh, is the most less, that man fails to learn the lessons of history is the most important lesson that history has to teach. Mm. Now, if you're just at a uni with a big fancy first class honours degree and having to design it and you don't know a scooby about what the real world is out there, how are you going to tackle the problem? And if you tackle the problem that is Scottish ministers not doing the job, eh, not good for your career. There, 
the whole problem is we spend too much money on the system and not enough money on sweeping the streets. Mm -hmm. If you think we spend money with MSPs, we employ them, they employ civil servants, they employ Transport Scotland, they employ contractors, they employ auditors, all before a single shovel hits hits the street. The one, the one, the two, two, two things before we move on. Uh, the the one that surprises me a little bit is the 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 trunk roads in Scotland. They're maintained by a contractor, Bear Scotland, or is it AMA or whatever. Now I, I would imagine they're contracted to do that, and they'll be contracted to keep the roadsides clear. So surely, from a Scottish government transport Scotland point of view, it's a matter of saying your contract says you do it, you're not doing it, and they take enforcement action. Surely that's no. How it should work? <laughs> no. Oh Why not? Uh, because it's not their responsibility. You're you're not necessarily been involved in the street cleansing side of the business that I'm aware of, Alistair. Yeah. No, I'm and, not. I'm not. It's very clearly the local authorities that are responsible for cleansing of the trunk roads. Now, interestingly, the the good folks at Zero Waste Scotland put out an advice a couple of, just before, uh, before COVID, put out advice to local authorities that it was that it was the, the roads operating contractors, Amy, uh, Bayer, et cetera. They were wrong. But when I challenged them, when I challenged Zero Waste Scotland, they said, oh, but, oh, but Scottish government have checked it and they said it's okay. I'm saying it's still wrong. <laughs> so, uh, that happened in November because I got a copy of the from a from a local authority officer who believed it, who didn't challenge it, and one of the problems is there are very few local authority officers with professional qualifications and experience in waste management, particularly when street cleansing, it just doesn't exist. So if Zero Waste Scotland, the Scottish government say, oh, it's the contractors. I've got to believe it. Mm -hmm. So it's because I think one thing I, I get in touch and challenged them. And they, later on, after Christmas that year, they slipped out a wee revised guidance. But it's interesting that I use freedom of information requests and requests for uh, environmental information quite a bit. And uh, regularly I get local authorities telling me, oh, that's not our responsibility. That's bare. That's several councils they don't know the job because the people have been given responsibility they've merged departments they've lost the focus the street cleansing there are people there they've got not enough resources huge responsibilities their expertise is in something else and they're just condensed condensed cut 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 and the system is wrong and people are beyond the point that they can really cope there's not many folk in the waste industry. When, when I was in it, we had a great time. It was good, we were properly resourced. That was the best of times in the, the 80s, 90s, up to uh, 2000. After that, it's not a happy industry on that delivery end in the public sector because of the point you made, Alistair, but resources are not there. I think... I think I think one of the things that's changed, I, I feel has changed, George, is I always knew that if I wanted to find something, so if I wanted to know what I was legally required to do, 
because of my environmental background, I would go and check the Environmental Protection Act, I would go and follow the legislation. I think that type of skills are gone a little bit. People will go and check the SEPA guidance or the Zero Waste Scotland guidance. They'll not actually go back to the legislation. And then part of the problem is the legislation in some cases is such an absolute guddle that when you refer back, you get lost down total rabbit holes uh, of, of, of has that legislation still there? Has it been repealed? Has it not been, you know, some of the legislation is actually really badly drafted and, and you can't actually follow the pathway back, which in the past, you probably, when the legislation was a bit simpler, you, you, you probably could. Uh, just what, what, one, I think I've maybe mentioned to you this before, George, my, my pet theory about litter management in Scotland is on a Monday morning at eight o'clock in the morning, we shut the M8 to Edinburgh to Glasgow, and we stop all the cars and we make them step out of the car, pick up the litter, and they only get moving again once all the litter's picked up. <laughs> and I think if we could do something as draconian as that, then people would actually say, hang on a minute here, there's a shed load of litter that's side of this road, why is it getting there? Mm -hmm. And if the threat was that would be happening next month, the next month, the next month, Maybe we'd actually get the public to set up and take notice about it. Yeah. That's <laughs> pretty draconian. <laughs> a, a wee bit. But there are, there are ways of doing it, Alistair. They're talking about doing it in, down in England that because the legislation is different for putting onus on the driver of a car to say who littered. But you've got, you've got the technology now to issue litter fines automatically. The technology, they... Uh, can can determine that, but we should be adopting we should be adopting that and uh, doing it more often. There are no consequences because your chances of getting your chances are better of winning the jackpot in the lottery than of getting fined for littering. <laughs> other other in the middle of Glasgow city uh, and a couple of big cities, and even then you don't need to pay the fines because the majority of fines are not paid and nothing happens. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that legislation is a, a mess. Even DEFRA, who are for England, as most folk will know, environmental legislation in the main is a devolved thing to Scotland. DEFRA accidentally cancelled two sections of the Environmental Protection Act in Scotland, but it's not their powers, but they did it. Mm. So uh, street litter control notices and another obscure one, not obscure, but they had to go through another bit of legislation to add them back in. And that's why it becomes convoluted, Alistair. It is a mess. Yeah. And, but even then, my freedom of information requests of councils to find out which bits of the legislation that we currently have, they're applying. They don't even know about it. You, some of the answers you get back are astounding about you know their duties to keep registers, to serve notices, to do all sorts of things. This system is in chaos and the Scottish Government and Zero Waste Scotland are playing pretend with the revision of the strategy. It will make no difference. In 55 years, I've seen quite a few of those strategies. A strategy won't do anything. You need an implementation plan and that needs to be resourced. And whoever's going to do that needs to be held accountable to actually deliver that. We've got all the legislation, we've got all the issues there. No one is held accountable at this point in time. I've tried to complain to councillors. 
I've been in front of full council meetings and asked them a question, why have you stopped sweeping the streets? <laughs> and I've also, I've been to court, I've written to the Scottish government, I've written to the ombudsman. The only one that's left, the only thing that's left to me is the uh, court of session. Now, my wife won't let me sell the house to pay for that. <laughs> Probably quite wisely, George. Yeah. <laughs> my, my hopes remain, my hopes, Alistair, rather than stopping the motorways, I've got some hope on the horizon uh, for us. Can I maybe bring this to a conclusion about all the things? Is through the United Nations, surprisingly, and the Aarhus Convention on Environmental Matters, Scottish government and the British government have uh, signed up to that, saying that they will make it easier, they'll bring in a system to make it easier for an ordinary member of the public to challenge a public sector body. And the Environmental Rights Centre Scotland are a group of uh, lawyers and, and activists who have got some money to promote that. And I would encourage everyone to look that up and to, to join and support their efforts to have a an environmental court appointed where it's easier to take cases that the judges will understand environmental matters and it won't cost you your house on the line if you lose your case and you have expenses. And there's another new change which I've got some hope for is the Environmental Standards Scotland. That's the, the new environment regulator. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've had a chat with them about street cleansing because they read my tweets. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, and I met the guy and I said, I'm George Nivlock, I'm the guy that does clean, clean streets. I was at Parliament the other week there. And I said, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, Twitter, Twitter. I, I think just, just, just rounding this off, George, I think, I, I know we did some work with South, South Asia Council about litter and flying tipping. And I think the the real frustration is this thing about trying to get joined up thinking between local authorities, SEPA as the, the regulator that's also got a part to play, and the fiscal service, and, and just getting them to each understand their part in the process. You know, and the councils would say to us, if we issue a fixed penalty notice, the public might not pay it. If the fiscal service issues a fixed penalty notice, there's a 90% chance they're going to pay it. Yeah. You know, and it's joined up thinking like that. And, and I don't think, my personal view is, I don't think it's that hard if you could get the right heads in the, the right room and knock them together. Absolutely. And I think that we've tried that. There have been the environmental fiscals appointed and there's been agreements in the past. Oh, you just, oh, are you going? How long is it? We've tried it many, many times. I think it needs that radical change of having this proposal from the Aarhus Convention uh, and agreed by governments that we will have a special environmental court, Alistair. And it's much easier to take those things, define things, then take them to a natural conclusion in the courts, but not having the, the criminal or the legal, the sheriff courts in Scotland. I took a, a small case about litter, seven visits to the court, and it cost 40 grand, the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but sweeping the streets, it shouldn't be that. Aye. But I think the litter, you know, from an environment, environment, public health problem, the litter leads to fly tipping, leads to waste crime and so on. And it's like Correct. it's the old scenario of, you know, sort out the base and, you know, you, you cut down the instance later on. Yeah. Uh, 
So there, there, there you go, Heather. There's your, there's your education to street cleansing and littering and and just just under an hour. <laughs> I know that that was actually quite rounded that up quite nicely. I mean, I've learned quite a lot. I'm learning loads from these podcasts. So um, no, I think that that was a lot of interesting points covered um quite coherently and also some information that a lot of people. Um, maybe like myself didn't know about where the kind of sectors came and what what's happened so I think that was really really good history and a bit of a, a recap there of what's happening right now as well so I really enjoyed that um I wondered George if you wanted to provide as I know you did um off air before we started and I know you've talked broke down a few but would you like to share um one of your favorite industry acronyms with us with our, our guests and uh, to add to our list uh, oh, there are so many, and I've got, a, a, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've got a huge collection of them. And, uh, 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 you're all allowed one. Uh, you've mentioned uh, a few, but you're all allowed one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think for retired members of the industry, we we call ourselves bobos. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what a bobo is. Burnt out but opulent. <laughs> And I like that. The industry has a big burnout rate, but uh, no, I think the, my, my current favourite, I suppose, is uh, is relevant to planning permissions, which are really difficult because mm. waste management facilities are always perceived as bad neighbour developments. And despite uh, protestations to the uh, planning sector over many decades, that planning officers just don't understand their industry. But to be fair to them, many waste management people don't understand the planning system Mm -hmm. so then they believe that the planning system operates a banana system and that's the the acronym banana the planners want you to build absolutely nothing anywhere near anything (laughs) so that's my favorite acronym for the the morning i love that yeah is that an official one george is that an official (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> I might I might send you a, a list of uh, for the podcast and item a list of my acronyms. Yeah, uh, an official list. We'll get it published, George, and see if we can get it into the <laughs> the, the official list. It's a I collection of. Yeah, I was going to say, although you're retired or meant to be retired, George, how how do, <laughs> how do you get away from it all? How do you get away from ranting about the litter in the streets? To well, the main it used to be that. Uh, I was quite sporty and I, I was a, I played a game called handball, which is not well known, but it's the second most popular team sport in Europe. I played that at a fairly senior level and coached for Scotland, and uh, uh, so I really enjoyed that. Uh, I, be- I believe you played at slightly more than a senior level. Oh, well, I was in the GB Olympic team, yeah. <laughs> did, did, I, I take it you never won, though, or you would have told well, me that. Oh, <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's like Barcelona playing your local primary school <laughs> <laughs> football. Uh, we did, and, and uh, I was at my son got married in Poland uh, this last summer there, and we were over in Poland uh, for the wedding and talking to folks here. I played in the the pre-Olympic game against Poland, and uh, the score was seventy-seven uh, to Poland and eleven to the UK. <laughs> it was a uh, uh, really, they're still learning. It's a fabulous sport, second sport only to soccer uh, in Europe. But we, 
the, the, the illnesses of, of the UK and its attitude to sport and football are another topic altogether, so let's leave that. But I did that. I now, get, I now go fishing. I'm an angler in my... But before you move on to that, George, you meant you mentioned running to me. There's there's oh. a, a mention of marathon. Well, running's allowed in the podcast as well. I, oh, I yeah, make it allowed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're, you're, if you if you would like to tell us, you don't need to tell us your your marathon PB. Uh, marathon PB was three fifty six. I think it was. Well done. Uh, Very well for a, a sixteen stone, six foot three, doing it just for a bit of fun. That was my target to get under the under the four yeah. hour, yeah. Uh, because I did. I'm not really built for long distance or stuff like that. There you go. Very impressive. Yeah. But that's sorry, thing. I just dis- I distracted you about what your hobby is now. Oh, my <laughs> hobby is angling. I live on the River Don in Aberdeenshire. Five minutes. From, I used to be able to get from the office to the house and onto the river with my salmon rod uh, within uh, ten minutes. So I go fishing. Uh, it's my thing. I uh, hardly fish for salmon now because there's hardly any there and I don't like distressing them. They all go back now and I don't mm. like causing them distress uh, in the river. So I just fish for mainly for trout now and put most of them back now. Quite different concepts from the mm. old days where you chapped everything in the head. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Brilliant. Well, I think, George, we've covered kind of mostly everything there. Um, you know, we, we kind of slotted in a few of our usual questions, but we gave you some free in there. Um, so, you know, you've got some loads of good things to say. And I think for anyone listening and keen to hear more from George, we're going to follow up on the Rubbish Talk website. Um, you've sent Alistair and myself a lot of good, what you call ramblings, but we we've, we see the vision. So we're going to put them into a wee mini blog series for people who have been interested in what you're saying and your your views on things. So um, I think, just I think we've probably know, got, I think we've probably got time to give George a magic wand to sort one waste stroke environmental issue out once and for all. Don't know how much time. <laughs> if we can do it quickly. George, keep it, keep it yeah. short is what we're saying. <laughs> the, the magic wand would be dispense with our litter strategy and get a proper waste agency that will hold duty bodies to account, not just play go. pretend. That's a, that's a good one. I like yeah, that one. Start. At the moment, the government, all the, all the talk about litter and street cleansing, is all about blaming the public who drop litter. Mm-hmm. 50%, as we said, maybe more, Alistair, but 50%. But we know that 100% of duty bodies are failing and nothing is said or done about that. They have to fix it, have to get the streets clean, so that they can then be and then kept clean, that will stop folk littering, or be a huge part of the process and towards that aim. Yeah. Yeah, totally Brilliant. agree. Yeah. I like I like that one. And and just just finally, George, any advice to somebody coming into the industry now? <laughs> it, I I really can't can't say much about it because the industry has changed dramatically from when I was an employer, I was directly employed in it. But uh, I have learned loads from it. I've enjoyed my, as I say, 55 years. I've made huge numbers of friends. It's a very, very satisfying career. It allows you to make a difference, not only locally, but in the world. It's got challenges, but it's hugely exciting and it's sexy. 
Well, that's a new phrase. We've that, not that's his that chat of line. That's his chat of line from his passport <laughs> from years back. <laughs> uh, well, that's certainly oh, new, but a new description there. But um, I think you're right in saying it. It is exciting. There's always change, and um, yeah, it's, it's there's a lot for people to learn. So I think that's great. That's all you need to to get people interested. I think those few lines summed it up. Okay. okay. Brilliant. Well, thank thank you very much for your time, George. That was we will, as we said, going through. We'll we'll put together a wee list of, of links and so on. That, you know, and I'd love to see that paper about the pandemic that you wrote. I, I have read it. I remember reading it. Uh, it'd be good to reshare that with people. Okay. Well, do I'll also send you a link to? It's a litter song that was created for South uh, Ayrshire Council area. They've got a litter group there, and it's it's called the Litter Song, and it's really quite catchy. My wife bans me. She's driven mad by listening to it. So but I'll send you a copy of it and you maybe add it in. Oh, brilliant. We'll have that as the, the, the outro for this podcast episode. Then. <laughs> I can just imagine this on a playlist of these things now. <laughs> Who knew and such it, a thing existed? And the, the, the other one to mention, you did share you did share an avatar that we'll share up in the thing as well, which I, I have seen I have seen before, actually, but I had a proper look at it yeah, earlier on the big screen. So, yeah, that, that'd be good. That'd be good. Nice. All right. Well, okay, thank no. you. As I said, thank you very much, George. Cheers, guys. Thanks, George. Take care. Bye-bye.